insights with Imagio. My name is Bridget Lacey and Sam Maxwell, Managing Director of Imagio Group, is with me. Uh, Sam, big afternoon for a lot of 18-year-old um, kids around the nation today. The, the AFL draft is on. Um, it's been a little bit different the last few years. They've split it over a couple of days now, so plenty of excitement, nervousness um, for a lot of these boys. Um, it's been a huge build-up for a lot of them in particular. It's certainly getting bigger every year. It's becoming its own selling point for the AFL, um, just like it has in the US, um, and which has been interesting to see that evolve. Of course, we've got live trading as well with picks that's been happening in the last couple of years, so it's getting more and more sophisticated. But um, how do you sort of see it, Sam, heading in? Yeah, I guess it's on a number of levels, isn't it? So, I mean, firstly, the, it's a bit of a you know media media circus or, or media show that how that's developed over the last couple of years, not just as you said before. You know the the draft over in you know one afternoon or one evening. There the, the AFL have split it um, across a couple of days so that they can you know guarantee newspaper space, online space, um, the stories that can be told um, with that. But on the flip side, um, you've got you know the players um, and how how that affects them. But equally, you know, from the clubs as well. Now that there's there's live tradings and there's a number of you know clubs that they're looking to you know to jostle draft order and trade picks um, within obviously before, but also during the draft as well to try and you know move uh, maneuver their their draft positions. So it's definitely something that I reckon has probably been the biggest change in the AFL industry in the last you know or one of the biggest changes in the last you know couple of years, uh, the draft. But I guess the focus today is a little bit more on the on the player side. How they, you know, how they're dealing with it uh, in the lead-up, the evening of, and then, you know, um, the the first week or a couple of weeks uh, when they they join their join their new club. The interesting part of it is that, you know, when you get to the grand final, there's only two clubs who are involved at that point. Um, so what they're finding now um, when they do the analytics, you know, people like the AFL website, um, it's you know, the trade and draft period is actually outrating the period around the grand final and that's you can understand why because all 18 clubs are involved it's about selling hope so those clubs down the bottom of the ladder can actually feel like they're winning something for once um so that's that's a big part of it but it's it's partly to do with the, the way the afl have developed it into a into a show of its own and and there are you know whether you like it or not there are a lot of pressure there is a lot of pressure on a lot of these kids before they've um, even played a game of AFL football and there's so much known about them, um, their story gets told over and over and over before they get to this day. So in many ways, this day is probably a bit of a relief for some of the boys. I think you're right. I think the, the particular ones that you know that, or they know that they're, that they're going to go, you know, they just want to sort of to, to get it done so they can, you know, get that, that media stuff sort of out of the way. But more importantly, just just join join the club that they're, that they're going to be a part of and, and get stuck into training. I mean, these guys, you know, for, for so many years, they've, they've had dreams and aspirations of, of being professional athletes. Um, and until the point at which they're, they're drafted, there's, it's all just talk, you know, but they're drafted, the club, and then they can, you know, really, really get to work, um, you know, make, make the support staff, coaching staff, teammates, um, and, yeah, get stuck into training pre-season and looking ahead to the, the season that's, um, you know, around the corner. I know personally I loved, as a journalist, covering the draft. <laughs> it just... It was. I found it very uplifting to particularly hear the stories of the young West Australians who were 
who were trying to make it. But I, but I always also was a little bit uncomfortable with how much hype is, is around these kids because um, for some of them it doesn't work out. Not just they don't get drafted, but some of them do get drafted and, you know, their careers don't, perhaps don't go the way they'd always hoped. Like, do you do you feel a little bit uncomfortable about it at all or, or do you just think it's... You know, we have to accept that this is the way the, the world is. Look, I think I, I think we probably do have to accept that it is it is the way it is. What what, what I don't like is at the end of the day that the draft you're, you're just a number. That once 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 a player goes in, whether you're whether you're the first round pick or, or taken at pick one, or you know, albeit you you picked up in the rookie draft, you know, later on. Once you went to the four walls of, of a footy club, you, you're the same as, as anybody else. Yes, there are egos and there's experience and, and all that type of thing, but all it, all it, all it is, it's the number at which you are selected. Um, everyone else goes in their equal and, you know, the players need to earn the respect of, of their teammates and, um, and that type of things. But you're right, the, it's such a cutthroat industry, as is, as is elite sport. We're not, you know, we're not just saying it's in the AFL environment. And there are stories... Of you know many players that that have missed out, but equally on the other side, that I think that's the thing the AFL has done you know pretty well the last you know little bit, is that there are opportunities for some more you know mature age players to enter um, later in the later in the year. We've talked the, the mid-season draft. You know, <laughs> Marlon Pickett's probably you know a, a case in point. Yes, he's only played you know one game, but the story that you know flowed from that um, on the grand final a couple of months ago. I always like to think of the, the money ball um, scenario. I think, um, you know, he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder, didn't he? Because um, he was a, a high draft pick and he sort of had seen that recruiters think they know everything, but they actually don't know anything. And I think we see that played out all the time. You, you know, you see players slip through the cracks who, who, who could have had very good careers. And, and then, you know, your Tim Kellys and your Marlene Picketts that, that we talk about that come in and take the competition by storm. I think that's right. The thing is that you, people forget that these guys—they're—they're they're just boys when when they're drafted. They're you know eighteen years old, and you know physically they have so much more to you know to, to grow and, and to develop. And and everybody develops at, at different stages. Yes, you will always have you know some you know some players, and like I said before, same in AFL and, and some in other in other sports as well, where they're able to they're able to perform at that elite level straight away. It may be um, but it's on the other side, it may just not be physically, you know, up to it. And that takes it takes time, it takes a number of pre seasons um, for, for them to learn their body and what's involved of being, you know, um, an, an elite athlete. So I think that's that's the thing that takes everybody's different. Um, but as I said, once once you're in the four walls of a of a footy club, um, you know, everyone's everyone's the same. Yes, someone may be paid a little bit more or a little bit less. Um, but they've all got a role to play, and uh, I think that's pretty important. So we wanted to chat to someone who's who's been through the process, and, and this particular player has been through it a couple of times with very different scenarios. Of course, um, one, he's become one of the great characters <laughs> in the industry. Uh, Dylan Buckley, of course, played 41 games between Carlton and GWS over eight seasons, recently delisted by, by the Giants, but um, he's got some, some really interesting thoughts on, on the whole draft process. Yeah, he does. I mean, I think he's he's someone who, um, who who's been in the system for for, for a while, um, still still fairly young as as well. So he's been in the system for a while. He's seen he's seen it from from both sides, uh, from a couple of different clubs. And um, let's have a listen to your chat with him early this morning. First of all, um, 
how are you feeling about everything? Obviously, uh, just making the big move um, back again to Melbourne. Um, I guess you're at the other end of, of what the draftees, many of them will experience today and tomorrow, of, um, of making a big move somewhere. You're, you're, you're coming back home. Yeah, I am. Um, it's incredible. Uh, like it's probably the first thing when you get to a club, um, all the older guys say, you know, make sure you make the most of this because it goes quickly, and you sort of just laugh and and um, brush it off. It, it really does. Um, it feels like yesterday I was walking in the doors, and um, it's been a long, long, sorry, quick eight years. Um, it's been an awesome time, but yeah, I'm more than happy now to to be finished up and so excited for these guys because I know they've got some awesome, obviously some awesome careers ahead of them and um, more importantly, some good times. So you haven't nominated for the draft again, Dylan? No, I haven't. No, no, I've, I've kept the name off the board this year and um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with with my career today. Um, not to say that that's not going to change in the future, but yeah, I'm just going to pursue some other interests off field and I'm really excited just to see what that's about. I'm looking forward to just getting my life back and um, want to do some travelling and um, yeah, really excited what's next. I, I, I just um, I can't wait to to hit 2020 with um with with everything. Brilliant. And these days, I guess there's so much hype around it now. I mean, it's gone up a level even since you were drafted, which wasn't very long ago. Um, does it bring the memories flooding back every time? Uh, it's great. It's funny, isn't it? Like how yeah, they do all these draft videos now, and I think that's it's you know they put like these young eighteen-year-olds in some some really awkward positions. I think, but I think that's just the way the game's going, and they need to pump it up as much as they can. But um, yeah, for me, I suppose it wasn't as it wasn't as big as it was uh, you know back eight years ago that it is now. And I suppose we used to do a couple of little draft interviews, but um, yeah, you see these guys now, and you know all the names of the top ten picks. It's pretty cool how it all works, and. Um, I don't know if it, it plays on their minds. It might put a little bit of pressure on, but it might pump them up as well. So um, I'm sure in time it will tell. So can you take me back to 2011? I suppose your um, your experience was a little bit unique because you knew um, a fair way out exactly where you were going. Um, I suppose a lot different to a lot of boys, but at what point did you find out from Carlton that they were, they were going to take you father-son that year? Yeah, so I actually found out when I was literally about, I reckon, nearly 17 or nearly, it was probably like 16 turning 17. Um, it was a really unique situation because um, the Giants had actually just come into the system and they were pre-listing 17-year-olds that were born between like January and April. Um, and I was sort of in that category and was playing some good footballers in the AS squad and a lot of the guys that were getting offers. And um, Carlton sort of said, look, you know, to commit, we'll commit to you now if you can hold out another year instead of going um, to the Giants. So they put in place like a bit of a, a contract and whatnot and sort of had it all there ready to go and already committed to, you know, taking me. Um, and, uh, yeah, it all worked out pretty well in the end. Like, I was wrapped to, to sit out the year and um, to, to stay at school and stay at home in Melbourne. Um, I just don't think that I would have been able to move away when I was 18, I was I was living out of mum's uh, mum's purse, and just I, I was a mama's boy. I, I just don't know how it would have gone. So, um, for then to get the opportunity to go up to the Giants six years later, it was it was crazy. It was a little bit of um, it was a little bit in that. I think it was just it's incredible how it worked. I think maybe that was where I was. You know, I was definitely meant to be there at some stage in my career, and um, probably the best two years I've had playing footy out there. So. Talk me through that as well, because I mean, obviously you have two draft experiences. The first one you just mentioned, 
um, you sort of knew what was going on a fair way out. This, this second experience, you nominate, but you don't know for sure. And I think I've read before that you, GWS were the only ones who had sort of, sort of shown an interest heading into that year. Yeah, yeah. So I got um, got uh, obviously let go by Carlton, um, which was which just like I was more than you know we left on really good terms. Um, I think that you know it was just like a, a really mutual breakup sort of thing. You know, you just yeah. knew you weren't right for each other anymore. And I was um, I was really keen to to move on. And even if it wasn't AFL, you know, I was just ready to move on just to a different sort of environment. Um, I was a bit like I was now, um, really ready to do things outside of footy, but. In, in saying that, I still had that fire. I was thinking, look, I, I, I still got a bit left in me, um, and I was yeah really really keen to to get on another list. And to be honest, I didn't. I probably didn't. Have, I probably wasn't set up off field as well as I was. Um, I am now, so I was I was really keen on to get a list. But um, Giants were the only team I sat down with, and I just didn't want to get anyone's hopes up around that period because what was happening. So I was sort of telling people, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty keen to finish up. Um, see whatever happens, happens. And yeah, I ended up going, flying up to Sydney for the um, for a meeting with with Leon and Wayne Campbell. Um, I didn't tell anyone in my family because I just didn't want them to get, you know start worrying or thinking that you know it was a massive thing. Yeah. Um, and had the meeting with them, had the tour around, and it was actually me and Lockie Keith that went up together, and they ended up taking um, Keithy with one of the delisted free agent picks because um, I was short on a ruckman and yeah they really wanted him up there which has turned out to be an incredible pick and uh, yeah they just said to me look we're going to take Keithy um, we can't commit to taking you anywhere else but look you know there, there is a chance we could take you in the rookie draft but there's no guarantees um, it's it's 50-50 really and just see what happens and I sort of thought well look that's that's what we're going to do and I just sort of went home and just for like that next like month just pretended that I was like already at the Giants and um, I've told this story to a few people but like I'm really big into like mindset and stuff and just um, yeah just sort of like pretended that I was already there and you know was waking up pretending that I was already at the Giants and yeah they just picked me up in the rookie draft and that night I was on the plane and I had to just break it to Justine my, my fiance that morning that we're moving to Sydney which she had absolutely no idea about. Were you following it on your phone or something? Like, how did how did you find out? That yeah, so we were just um that morning. I just like woke up and I was feeling sick. Like I was just I knew the rookie draft was on that morning, and then um it was on my phone, and we were just at home, and I was just at home, just chilling out, had nothing to do, and obviously pretty anxious. So I took the dogs for about six walks, and on the next one, I was like, all right, let's go for one more walk in the park, and Jazz was like, geez, all right, we'll go again, and. I was just on my phone and she was just getting annoyed because I was on my phone all day just refreshing everything and seeing if anything had come up and yeah I was just refreshing it and it's not like the draft these days this the rookie draft even two years ago it probably still is it's on it's on dial-up internet like it's yeah. the worst thing ever it pretty much just pops up on a, on a screen that's like preloaded on the internet and um, it takes a while to sort of to get going if you don't have good internet it takes a while so about 15 names sort of like popped up and I saw a few of my mates' names on there, and I was like, oh, it's so good, because I just was really keen for them to get picked up again, and yeah, I was looking for the Giants logo, and saw it, and then saw my name next to it, and it still just didn't even click, like, because I just was never used to seeing that colour next to my name, um, and yeah, I just, I, to this day, it gives me goosebumps, it was just the most incredible feeling, um, so I'm so excited for guys like that tonight and tomorrow and in the rookie draft to experience that i think that the draft night's best for those guys that um don't know mm. um there's a bit of a cloud because i think it means a lot more to them well it means a lot to everyone but it means a lot more when 
you've been probably been worrying about it for your whole life. Um, you know, the top ten, they know they're going to go somewhere. It's more just the angst of seeing where it is. Um, those guys that were in the position of not knowing, uh, from my experience, it was just absolutely incredible. And um, yeah, that they they work really hard when they get in there because they know the opportunity uh, might not happen. So how did it go down with your fiance when you explained that um, a move to Sydney <laughs> was uh, on the cards? So we, we were really keen to like move somewhere anyway, and we were sort of chatting about it. But I, um, yeah, it's really hard because I don't. I tell her absolutely everything, but this one I just didn't want to get anyone's hopes up. I didn't want really anyone asking me about it because I just didn't know what was going to happen, and didn't want people going, "Oh, you know, what if they did pick you up?" And so I just sort of kept it to myself. And she knew that I was. They were interested, but didn't know that there was a chance. Um, but yeah, she was really excited. It took her about 24 hours to work it out. Um, she was obviously a bit emotional and I had to leave that night on the flight. Um, but then, you know, as soon as she got up there, she moved up with me after Christmas. And, yeah, we absolutely loved our, our two years in Sydney. And to be honest, I didn't really, I didn't want to leave at all. But, um, you know, work opportunities and life after footy back here is a bit more pressing and there's a bit more opportunity. So we want to, you know, build our, build our lives here for a bit and then hopefully one day we'll head back. Yeah, I've heard from a few boys who went to GWS and um, always hear positive things. One person I sort of spoke to a bit was Reese Palmer, who was at a couple of the clubs you were at um, and, you know, a top 10 draft pick himself. It does feel like the industry can chew you up and spit you up a little bit, despite all the um, all the opportunities, obviously, that come with that, Dylan. Does that strike you a bit, talking to a few of the boys? Um, Tommy Sheridan's probably another one who was a, a fairly high pick and... Um, he's obviously been delisted with you recently, but I think they're going to pick him back up as well in the yeah. rookie draft. Yeah, it is. Look, like the, the industry is harsh, but I sort of think, like, at the end of the day, um, we're blessed. We're absolutely blessed to spend one day, eight years in an AFL system. Like, we, we the, the game doesn't really owe us anything. Um, you know, we're just passengers. We get to wear the jumpers. We get to, you know, have our names on the list and, um, and do that for a living. Like, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's an opportunity that you just you can't say no to, and I'll be forever grateful for. Um, I don't think that the yeah, like I said, I don't think they really owe us anything because it's such a thing that you know. I think I saw a stat like 0.03 percent of footballers get to actually play at the highest level, mm. um, and to say I've done that for eight years, like you know, it's it's incredible to say. So, um, in my experience, like I think that you know, I've had two opportunities. Um, I've absolutely loved them. Um, I have made the most of them um, on and off the field I have. And, you know, the relationships that I've built, like I'll have them for the rest of my life. Um, I'm still doing a bit of stuff with Carlton this year. I'm still doing stuff with Giants um, this year as well. So I'm going to keep my keep my foot in the door because I know how good of the places they are and the people that run them. So all I'd say is you always want to you want to start on good terms and you want to end on good terms. So um, yeah. I'm welcome back at those two clubs and I want to keep it that way. <laughs> What's your advice to the, to the kids who are... Who are going to be drafted over the next forty-eight hours? Um, yeah, it's it's so it's so good, isn't it? I, I my one quote I do like to say is just be yourself. Um, be yourself. Everyone else is taken because that's probably my favourite thing about the footy club. You, you hang out with forty-four guys every day, and probably thirty of them you'd never cross paths in your life if if you didn't play footy. Um, there's so many different characters, so just embrace it. Um, get to, you, you're going to make some lifelong friends and you're going to have guys there that are the most quirky, weirdest guys that you've ever met. You're going to have some guys that you don't get along with, but you've got to learn from that too. Um, my biggest thing for young guys, like I just say, like go there and just don't don't wait. Don't like wait for things to happen. Um, my first two years I spent sort of like on a list just like waiting to get a game, 
you know, waiting to develop. And um, it took like it took uh, one of the senior guys, Heath Scotland, to pull me in the line and say, "Mate, you just got to start working hard. You should be expecting to play every game. If you don't, then there's no point being here." Um, so I was really lucky that he gave me that advice because I could have ended up out the door a lot earlier than I did. Um, so definitely just get to the club and you've been picked there for a reason like you can play 22 games you can play 25 and play in a grand final um, if you really want to um, and I just say just be a sponge listen to everyone um, take everything on board and one thing that the old guys just said to me is that it really doesn't last forever so make sure you just make the most of it and um, I think one guy's done was use the off field stuff the most as well that was the thing that I really got involved with the most was um just using those contacts and networking and, and building your brand is um, something that's the most incredible thing that you can do that not many 18-year-olds have access to in, in Australia. Mm. And is there, I mean, obviously you've had your own experiences and many of your mates along the way. Is there anything you sort of change about the draft and, and the way it's done? Um, hmm, not really. Um, I don't think there's much. Like, I know some people are saying, like, the age of 21, um, you know, I don't really mind that debate either. Um, but you'd have to put like a 18 to 21 year old comp. So I don't think that they do that. But I think it's pretty good. Um, I think that the mid-season draft is really cool now as well. That's I think that that's really good for guys that miss out because where they might go back and play local for money, they're thinking, well, now I'm going to go play state league and have a really good half of the year and then get picked up again. Um, yeah. So I, I really, I'm a massive fan of the um, mid-year, mid-season draft. I think that's awesome. But um, besides that, I wouldn't really change anything. I think it's pretty cool. Because, I mean, it feels like it's only going to get a like, bigger production value every year. I mean, going the same way as it is in America with how big, you know, the, the NFL draft is, for example. Is that, Are you comfortable with that? I mean, you mentioned before, I guess, the hype around the players before they've even played a game. Yeah, I think that you got to like you, you grow, like you said, you got to grow with with um, with everyone else. The NBA and NFL they do it incredibly well. Um, obviously, those guys are a lot older. Like they get picked up at twenty one, I think. I don't know what they do in the NBA, but um, I think guys now, you know, they they get educated enough on on what to say. And that eighteen year olds are a lot more further, a uh, lot more ahead of what I was when I was eighteen. So um, yeah, I think you definitely got to grow with it. You know, the more publicity, the better. The, the game, you know, you got to grow the game and bring in the money and I suppose the more they do it the more they'll get paid and um, everyone's happy and uh, you you mentioned a few times that you've sort of set yourself up away from footy can you tell us a bit about that we've all enjoyed your your podcast Dylan Friends that's that's part of it I assume yeah it is. I wouldn't say set myself up it's probably the wrong word really I'd say I found my passions and stuff mm-hmm. that I'm interested in I think that was probably the the one thing that I was really um, my whole career I was really afraid of like leaving the game and not enjoying myself as much as I did when I was playing footy. So I always wanted to find something that was something that I loved just as much. And I think now that love has probably taken over from actually playing to just that sort of, um, yeah, my podcast, I love the media, I love creating content for um, other sort of media sources. And, yeah, that'd probably been, you know, my new passion. So, um, yeah, next year, just going to go really hard at my podcast, keep doing that, Dylan Friends and interviewing. And I'll actually probably do another show that's a, a bit of a footy show, um, review or preview on a Monday or Thursday night. Um, and, yeah, just doing some um, some work with 3AW, a radio station in Melbourne, um, learning some producing stuff there. And I'll dabble with Carlton and the Giants and a bit of AFL stuff. So... I just want to keep really busy. I probably couldn't do something like nine to five, Monday to Friday. Like mm. I'm hoping that every day looks a little bit different for me because that's 
that's what you get when you're playing footy. You never know what you're going to get. So um, I don't think I could really sit at the desk and do do work. My back's too sore and my mind doesn't really concentrate for that much. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited for next year. I like, really, really excited and have the year off playing, do some travelling um, and, uh, yeah, can't wait. And do you, obviously, given what you've you've said, you're really positive about everything. Sort of no regrets for you, Dylan, your journey. No, nah, not at all. No regrets. Never regrets. Um, lessons, definitely. Like I've learned so much. Um, I like to say that my AFL career was like a uni degree. Like um, there were so many things that I, I learned from that. Um, you know, like would I? I'm so much smarter from that now. Better person, I think. Um, could I have played more games? Probably, um, but did I? No. So like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not upset with that at all. Um, I, I couldn't be happier for you know how it all turned out and the way I've come out of it. Um, I'd much rather be a bit more switched on like I am now. Um, and the only reason I, I was sort of found had to find these passions is because I wasn't playing every week and I was on these one-year deals and it sort of forced me to really go hard at my off-field stuff. Mm. Um, if I was playing every week, would I have invested in it? Probably not. So uh, I'm, I'm really happy with the way it turned out. Um, footy is a small part of my life. Um, it's not the be-all end-all for me, but... I, um, I'll look back on it and I couldn't be proud of myself. And like I said, just to spend eight years on a, on a list, like not many people get to do that. And, um, yeah, I, I only played 41 games. So it probably says a little bit more, I think, about like the way I probably went about it than anything else. Um, I just enjoyed it. Loved just rocking up to the club every day. My, my game day was literally probably Monday to Friday, to be honest. I just loved just being at the club and hanging out and getting around everyone. And then Saturday was just a bonus. And I think that reflects in uh, in the way your sort of two clubs that you're at um, speak about you post um, you leaving. <coughs> it's all very much um, what you've contributed, not just on the field but off the field. So that's a fantastic legacy for you as well. No, it's good. I, like I said, it's hard to have a bad. It's hard to. Um it's hard to not really have fun when you're surrounded by your mates all day. I just try and take myself not too seriously, and um, yeah, it was. It's, I've had the best, as I said, best eight years. Couldn't be happier, and really excited for now for what's next. And um, I don't know exactly what it is, but um, there's a few little things on the way that'll sort of get me there. But you just got to do it with a, with positivity, a bit of a smile, and um, you'll get there. Brilliant. Well, really appreciate talking to you, Dylan. Thanks so much, and and good luck with um, all that unpacking. No worries, thanks so much. Massive fan of the show, by the way, so keep it up. <laughs> thanks, Dylan. Well, so that was, um, that was Dylan's thoughts on the draft and, and his experiences through his career. Really, really loved his positive attitude, obviously. If you look at it, um, you know, objectively, a lot of people might say, what if for him in terms of his playing career? But he, he believes that, you know, he got so much out of it and... Um, and he sort of doesn't have any regrets, which which is a wonderful way to lie. I don't think every player leaves the AFL system in that way. I really liked it. It was really refreshing on on both fronts. Firstly, how he, he spoke that you know when he when he left Carlton that they just both came to an agreement that that um, that they both went right for each other. But what I really like is then sort of gone back in a full circle, and he mentioned he's still going to be doing some work um, for for the Blues um, in the upcoming you know seasons. And I think that's. That, that really speaks volume of, of, of him and how he sort of understands that, as he said, you know, you, you walk in the door, you want to build good relationships and you, know, you want that the same as when you, you, know, when you leave. Um, and equally with the, on the Giants side, he said, you know, there was a bit of hesitation, you know, moving up. Um, but yeah, he's, he's really, he was really happy there, had a good couple of years and it's just really refreshing to hear someone who, 
who has has left the industry and left um, you know a, a job or a role that obviously he loved and, and so many people would would aspire and, and be jealous you know in, in somewhat but he's um, yeah he's very content with with what he's done and as I said it's really refreshing absolutely um, great to hear from Dylan um, I wanted to ask you Sam um, an agent's role through a draft process it is it is a bit um, of a strange one um, I guess there is so much unknown about it. So um, I suppose if you put yourself in those shoes, how, how do you sort of prepare someone for, for I guess, the, the complete unknown? There will be some players who, who know right now where they're going, but there'll be plenty who don't or don't even know if they will get drafted. How do you sort of help them deal with that mentally, do you think? Yeah, I think, I think the agent's role in this regard is, is the same role that I guess we play in, in everything else that, you know, that we do, and it's just about managing expectations. It's just about... Um, being completely, you know, transparent and upfront, and yes, there'll be conversations, and it's sort of, you know, passing on, pa- passing on what you, you know, what you know, and and being prepared for a number of, you know, situations. Um, it may be that your player, um, you know, the, the, where they may go, they may stay in their home state, they may, they may need to move if they do need to move. What that, what that looks like in terms of, um, yeah, there's family, there's all those types of things. Um, obviously. Living, living at a home for the first time. Um, it's just, and the, the more I think you've you've done it, your your experience, and I said the most important thing is just managing, managing the expectations. Um, and then once you once you know what's going to happen, working through that. And the tough thing is actually probably working with the players who um, who don't get drafted. You know, there's the expectation that that you know they they may want to or they may think they're fairly close. But it's then working out. Okay, I didn't go. Um, now, what are my what are my options? And um, as Dylan said, you know, there's there are a number of options for, for players um, now, both in the younger end, but also a little bit older, that they can. You know, there are ways where they can find themselves. You know, back in the system. Mm, absolutely. Dylan touched on this, but there's been plenty of discussion about raising the draft age potentially for the AFL. Do you have a view on that? It's an interesting one. I, I, I don't. I think it comes back to what I said at the top that everybody's different, and I think there are definitely there are some um, players in in every draft year who are ready physically, football wise, and and all of that that are ready to play. So I don't think that we need to necessarily hold those players back. But flip side, there there are definitely you know players who are drafted and they're, they're just drafted too young and they're not ready. It may be physically, it may be they're not ready to, to live out of home. It may be they're ready not not ready to live, you know, on the other other side of the country or live in a big city. Some of them come from you know country towns. So I think um, one one option is actually maybe just to limit uh, limit the number of. Um, uh, younger players that a club can can draft are on a certain on a list, so that way they're they're actually the, the best are still are still playing AFL footy or still that environment, and the others are just taking a little bit you know longer to develop. Um, they're still involved, obviously, in in state programs in in um, in local footy, and and it just gives them a bit more a, a bit longer. Um, I think that's something that could uh, would would be pretty beneficial. Um, but I, I'm probably not a fan of you know blanket across the board you know raise it and and then what what do you raise it to like there's been talking of 21 I think 21 is too that's that's too old um, so yeah I think it could work if you just kind of limit it a little bit and that way as I said the the ones that are ready and able to play there 
that they're, they're, um, they're ready to go and other ones can you know, buy their time a little bit longer. There has been some suggestion that the reason the AFL wouldn't do it is losing players to other codes and that I would suggest there's some truth to that. It's so competitive out there now. If you're a young player um, and you're good at multiple sports, if you can jump straight in in another sport and the AFL's holding you back, potentially that could be an issue too. Yeah, I think so. But I think that probably also realistically only ref- only probably is a handful of players you know, every year. I mean, the yes, there's talk that a lot of players are... Uh, uh, you know, very good across a number of codes, but for for multiple players to be able to you know play elite sport in the professional level across you know you know two two codes, I think is um, I wouldn't say it's rare, but it's I don't think there'd be that many. I think we're only talking about a couple of a couple of players. Yeah, there's pro- there's there's always probably going to be a name or two every um, every year. But I think you know we need as the the AFL industry needs to you know look at the game as a whole um, and not just you know on an isolated instance with you know one or two players. Absolutely. Um, just reflecting on what's coming up this afternoon. I mean, um, the way the process works is that. Uh, those they think are going to go in the first round get invited because they obviously want them in the room for the TV coverage, yep. et cetera, et cetera. But there have been examples of players invited who then don't get taken in that first round, and that can be devastating as well for them. So um, that's something we should all be aware of too watching it. There's uh, there's real people involved in, in this stuff. I mean, these people end up getting taken, obviously, if they miss out in the first round, but it still can be quite shattering for, for the confidence particularly if they've been rated highly a long way coming in. I think that's right, and that probably gets back to what we said at the start about, you know, now it's, the, the draft is very much, it's very much a media show, you know, it's for, um, it's to, to get people talking, and you're right, the, the people that, the, the, the players that do miss out, it's, it's, it's definitely disappointing, and, you know, yes, they need to, you know, maybe wait, you know, 24 hours, and in some instances, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to go, um, but it's then about, you know, managing expectations and realising that these guys are at just the start of their journeys, um, they then need to reset, refocus, and, you know, put plans in place to uh, to get better, and um, there are other opportunities just around the corner. Be like Dylan, just will it to happen. He he willed it. He willed it exactly, exactly. Happened. No, that's right. So it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting process. But um, yeah, all the best to to everyone. Um, yeah, this afternoon it's uh, it's an exciting time for the young players and their families and the extended. You know, um, you know, people have played a very important role in in their careers um, to this point. One more thing I'd like to say on this subject. Yes. Um, at some stage tomorrow, uh, the analysis will start and people will start trying to say that this club won the draft or this club won the... Let's just be clear, we won't know for three to five years which clubs have done well out of this draft and anyone who tries to tell you they know otherwise, um, it's a lottery still. There's so much more work that goes into it than ever before, but still... You never, never know, um, and there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of factors. I mean, you look at an Anthony Morabito, who would have been a great ten year player, yep. Yep. but unfortunately, um, and that's not counted as a miss, by the way, no. in the stats because they, they say the Dockers made a good pick there, but you just can't foresee that sort of injury. So, I just would like to temper um, before we start hearing all this trash about which club got an A plus and this club got a D. Um, just just get that one clear, Sam. I like it. So Bridget Lacey's now, uh, now in a different role. It's, uh, I never pretended I know. to know when I was a journalist. So I'd just like to make that point clear as well. So 
um, Disc Club got a steal. Oh well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> That's it. Time will, like anything, time will, time will tell. I was rarely wrong though, Sam. That's why. I, I, I realise you're rarely wrong about many things, Bridge. <laughs> Um, next week, Sam, what, what have we got in mind? Well, I think originally, so back end of the uh, last week's Drugs in Sport, we, we sort of foreshadowed that we probably, you know, speak a little bit more about, you know, social media and um, the role that plays from an athlete side of things in terms of, you know, them dealing with, um, you know, just the, the constant communication that, not that they're actually pushing out, but actually the content that they're receiving and the messages they're receiving, you know, with the advent of, of social media now that, you know, p- players can be contactable by, you know, by anyone. Um, and it's how the players and athletes handle that. Do they read them? Do they ignore them? Um, and if they do read them, you know, how that affects their, you know, mental health. We've seen recent examples um, on the cricket side in the last month or so. So that was one, I guess, we foreshadowed for this week. And then we sort of thought with the AFL draft, coming up and the role that we play, um, you know, as an accredited agent in the AFL and working with, you know, a couple of players that was probably good to just, yeah, chat about chat about that. So we went for this this week, but I think, yeah, we'll look at that next week and go from there. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. See you then.